Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Welcome to the 199th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And we've got a good show for you tonight. We've got a very special guest. And uh, before I introduce our special guest, who's actually a friend of the show, if I remember correctly, Jake was on this show before he was on his own show, but, but we'll talk about that. Uh, we also have one of the rarest sightings of late on Seahawks Twitter, Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB after 67 straight days of yoga, he has mm. emerged from his meditative state to troll Jake and talk Seahawks. It's going to be fun. Uh, good to see you, Evan. How are you doing? I am doing so well. I am so rejuvenated for this conversation and i cannot believe we brought on somebody with such bad food opinions for oh, tonight's show shots fired already i mean he hasn't oh. even said a word yet he he likes Man. this he likes this one horrible pizza place it's called like table what's it called jake it's like some oh hey evan don't try to pretend like you don't know it's round table and put round some respect table. on its name round evan, table evan is completely off round table is one of the top underrated pizza franchises specifically for pepperoni absolutely. absolute upper crust pepperoni pizza where are they yes. even located i've actually genuinely never seen one well i mean evan it's your loss man i guess it's only the cool kids club that uh gets it gets the chance to eat round table so you know I think, look i, I you didn't can, know you, you were a round table aficionado that is actually i already had a modicum of respect for you but now we have already this is starting on the right foot <laughs> And generally, if you disagree with an Evan food take, you're in pretty good company. Yeah, um, I, I, I feel very comfortable to not agree with Evan or Stacy Ross about any food oh. takes. That's that's a great <laughs> that's a great space to be in. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely a come up. We had your co-host. That is the voice, if you haven't already figured out, of Jake Heaps, former quarterback uh, in the area, almost husky but not husky. Went abroad. Uh, went to the NFL, was on the Seahawks uh, in training camp, uh, is a uh, runs the Russell Wilson quarterback camp. I mean, this guy has now established himself in South Seattle Sports Radio, 
as the understudy for Stacy Rost on the Jake and Stacy <laughs> show on 710 ESPN every morning at 10 a.m. Uh, and he is at Jake Heaps. So it's let's see, let me make sure I got this right. It is JT Heaps9 on Twitter. You gotta follow him, he's must follow. Uh, and it is great to have you back, dude. How have you been? And last time we spoke to you was prior to you, like it was probably a few weeks prior to you signing up at 710 and getting that whole charade started. How's is, how is, how's life treating you, man? Uh, life's good. I mean, since then, yeah, it feels like uh, it's been forever since that time, you know, last time on. But uh, yeah, lot, lots of life has happened in between then. Uh, added two more kids to the equation to our family. Um, and uh, yeah, now now feel like I am a hardened uh, pro with the with the radio gig. So it's it's been fun, man. Yeah, it's been a blast. And um, I'll tell you what, we've been through some unique times here in Seattle uh, over the course of the last, what, three, four years now. So uh, it's been uh, it's been fun. There's been a lot of hard conversations that have happened uh, from now and then. But the one thing that remains is the passion for the Seahawks and ultimately wanting to see them ho hoist the Lombardi trophy again. It's just a matter of disagreeing or figuring out the right path uh, for everybody. But I, I got to tell you, it's, it's been great. It's been a blessing. And, and I seriously enjoy, you know, all the back and forth, all the conversations that we have had over the years. And, you know, it, it's, it's truly been fun. What's been the biggest surprise for you uh, since you became a, a radio superstar? Like what, what's been the, what's been the aspect of the job that maybe you didn't expect going in? Honestly, the, the, the connection with everybody. Um, I, I had heard about the relationships that you have with your audience from radio. And really it's truly the most intimate form of media. Right. Um, and and you hear those things and, and you don't really understand it until you get into it and you develop relationships and connections with people and you're part of people's everyday lives. Um, and so that to me has been honestly one of the coolest aspects of it. And um, again, you might not agree with everyone. Not everybody loves what you have to say um, or some people do, uh, but I, I love and appreciate each side of it truly um and uh and so that part of it's been really cool uh, the the connection part you know reconnecting back with the community uh from that aspect has been really cool um i've really enjoyed that whether it's discourse on twitter or you know via the radio i, I think that part of it's been what i've enjoyed the most so you and stacy uh stacy was on a couple couple shows ago a couple weeks ago did you guys know each other at all before? Because I've listened to all sorts of sports radio and there are times where the co-host, it is clearly forced and they're trying mm -hmm. and they're professionals. And, you know, there's other times where it sounds good, but you still can kind of catch it now and then where it's not. You guys just sound like brother and sister from like the start. <laughs> like, it, it, was there any previous like experience or just just worked? No, it just, I, I think it just clicked. And also our producer, Curtis Rogers is a huge part of that. You know, the three of us just have a ton of fun together. I think that's the biggest thing, Brian, is uh, we take pride in what we do, but ultimately I, I don't take myself too seriously. Like that, I think that's the biggest thing is, is that neither, n neither one of us and the three of us come in, in onto, when we crack the mic, we understand that there's other opinions out there that have you know validity and we want to express what we believe and and how we feel about certain topics but we just want to have fun i mean we're going to do this five days a week you know all year round there needs to be some levity to to the situation and i think for for stacy and i uh specifically i think we we connected on that level very quickly um just wanted to have a lot of fun and and kind of bring a different sound to to radio um and I think that you try, you hear a lot of people that, you know, want to come up there and, and, and it's great, but sound very serious. And they are the ones that have all the answers and everything else. And that um, I'm just here to share my experience, my thoughts. And if people dig them, then great. If they don't, then tell me why you don't and let's talk about it. But ultimately I think that's, that's why our show has been able to click so well and why we've been able to have so much fun from day one. Um, and it's been a blast. I mean, truly, we, we really have a great time. 
yeah it's it's a it's an awesome show love listening to it definitely regular well, listener thanks, uh, so evan you know i i want to ask jake some some uncomfortable questions because uh, you know we've got we've got to kind of introduce him to the show before we get into the fun stuff about seahawks so my first question because i'm kind of queuing you up evan to think about what your questions are going to be here but my first question you got twitter tiktok and instagram rank them mm-hmm. for me in order of your usage oh it's not even close it's number one twitter number two instagram number three tiktok and it's all the way at the bottom like i don't even really? use tiktok at all no that's okay. like a, that's like a generation that's kind of passed me by where i it i just never got it and never really wanted to get into it you know i feel like an old man when it comes to tiktok um but i absolutely use twitter uh you know, every day, Instagram every day. Um, those are easily my two favorite mediums. Are you a blocker or a muter on Twitter? <laughs> you just I, to, oh. you just got checked to see what he's done to my account online. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then we'll know. Uh, see, here's the thing. I am too nice of a person to block. So if you, if I block you, there is a real genuine reason. Like you screwed up. You know, like you screwed up if you if I'm blocking you, you need to go look yourself in the mirror, have some reflection and think about what you did. Uh, But for me, I'm more of a muter. Uh, You know, it's basically the same thing without the repercussions of telling someone that you blocked them. Right. Yes. Evan. Jake, I was watching the show a couple of weeks ago and, uh, you know, your voice disappeared for like the last 45 minutes. (laughs) Um, <laughs> did you like walk out on your job or, or did you uh, quit? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I couldn't stand being around Stacy and Curtis anymore. So I had to get the <laughs> heck out of there. Uh, and I had to make up some excuse, but uh, no, for real. I, uh, that morning, my wife and I, she made me breakfast. She ate the same thing I did. And literally out of nowhere during the middle of the show, I started to feel sick. And I was like, I, I, this is weird. And in between one of the breaks, I made it all the way through a 10-minute segment fighting it, and I I went outside. So, like, right now I'm in my shed that I have in my yard. So I, I recreated the shed during COVID uh, and turned it into a little studio, and I went straight for the door, and I <laughs> threw up right outside the door. I'm glad my neighbors weren't right there, uh, and uh, and I tried to come back. I tried to toughen it out, which I know Evan would never do. He would just... He would just pack it in right then and there. And I tried to come back and I couldn't do it. I, I, tr- I lasted for like two minutes in the next segment and then I was done. It was over. And Hold I on, had Jake, Jake, this makes a ton of sense. Though. This makes a ton of sense. You just had roundtable the night before. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. You know how, Brian, you know how, how long had you said that he has been doing some yoga adventure? Or 67 days, days brother. 67. So 67 days, it's really sad that you had to go on that adventure just to come for this moment with that joke. I mean, Evan, you could have done better, my friend. Come on now. (laughs) Ouch. Ouch. Uh, I do actually have a serious Seahawks question, just to segue us a little bit. What is the number (laughs) one position group that Seattle needs to target in free agency this year? Man, you know, to me, it's not even close in terms of what they need to do uh, in my opinion, it, it has to be one A, one B, offensive line and and defensive line pass rush, and and to me that's how I view it. I view it just as equally as important um, in terms of the way that you look at their roster, what they've tried to do in the past, and what hasn't worked. They need to, you know, when you talk about status quo or changing status quo. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's got to be in big changes with Pete Carroll or John Snyder or Russell Wilson, but you got to, you got to be able to pivot and look at some of the things that you've done and the way that they've tried to approach their pass rush and their offensive line. Like, I, I'm sorry, I don't give them credit for trying to address it. They got to fix it. You got to fix your problems. And that to me is the one area that you absolutely 100% have to change in terms of your status quo. But I would say, you know, if you're going to pin me down on one position group more so than the other, mm-hmm. I would I would prioritize pass rush uh, more so than the offensive line. And and again, it's very close. But I believe that you have the biggest hole 
on your pass rush, like by far the biggest hole in your pass rush. So I have one follow-up question for you. One area that nobody is talking about, and I think many people are just assuming Dwayne Brown is going to be back. He's not under Mm -hmm. contract for 2022. We don't have a starting left tackle right now. It's a void Mm -hmm. year in his contract for 2022. Do you think they should look outside of him? Obviously, he's like super old, 37, 38 years old. Or should they look at, you know, keeping him for another year or two while they target that position in the draft? I just feel like that that position specifically is not getting enough attention as we enter free agency. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you, Evan. I I, I do believe that it's been a poor job of of planning for life after Dwayne Brown. Um, And now you're in a position where it's uncomfortable because you are going to have to go on these this this one year deal basis. Uh, and, and until you figure out what that replacement is going to be, unless you're, unless the Seahawks, unless John Schneider and Pete Carroll have a trick up their sleeve, like the Kansas city chiefs did and going out and being uber aggressive and trading for somebody like Orlando Brown, that no one really saw coming. Uh, there's not really a clear answer as to how you upgrade and how you change that position. For me, as I, as I look at this year specifically, uh, you know, Brian, I know you put something out there that, uh, uh, Taryn Armstead was somebody that you would like to go, uh, Teron Armstead is somebody that you'd like to go after. And I, I would disagree with you a little bit there just because I think the price tag is higher. And the one great thing that, you know, from Dwayne Brown, even if he's not the same player is that he's not progressively getting significantly worse. Mm. And he is somebody that I believe and trust is going to be available through the year. Whereas Teron Armstead has has struggled um, to stay healthy on a consistent basis. Amazing player, all pro player guaranteed when he's on the field, kind of like Jack Conklin, but that's why I would pick Dwayne Brown. And that's why Evan, if, if I was to give you a percentage point, I would say that I am 90% confident Dwayne Brown comes back as a Seahawk this year. Hmm. Well, yeah, I think, I think the chances are relatively good as well. I, I, I think, you know, we, I think we've heard Orlando Brown's most likely to get franchise tagged. Um, that's not a surprise after the, the chiefs gave up a first round pick for him. Um, Armstead, I wouldn't be surprised with a team like the Bengals, you know, or, you know, some team that wants to spend top right. dollar on their left tackle goes in on him. And I do think guys like Trent Brown and Eric Fisher are at least worth a conversation relative to Dwayne Brown, they're younger and you might get, uh, you know, some upside there, but they have injury issues. And I think Dwayne Brown's a guy who, yeah, he's been there, but I would disagree that he did not have a significant step back this year, uh, like regress and the quality of player he was. Mm -hmm. He also just looks like, I don't think we can count on him being available. I I, I, I hope you're right. If that's the way they go, but at his age and with his, <laughs> the way he's moving around that that seems yeah. like that seems hopeful but but we agree on the, the the likelihood that the way i kind of see it is either you go for an alpha on the offensive line yeah or you go for an alpha on the edge right and alphas on the edge are like chandler jones von miller um we might see as a darius smith or even daniel hunter come out from cap cuts those are possible um of those guys, yeah, if you could have one of them, I think the Seahawks are much more likely to go after an edge rusher and spend that kind of money um, I, than go I, after a, I, a left tackle. I very much agree. And when it comes down to who we're talking about, we're talking about Pete Carroll here. And ultimately, what does Pete Carroll envision this team being and what does he want this team to be? Uh, you know, the first thing that Pete Carroll thinks about is, is defense. How, do I, how can I get my defense right? How can I get it back? And that's why I am more confident that they're going to go after top shelf, top tier pass rushers to go along with Daryl Taylor. And hopefully you keep Carlos Dunlap uh, to go along with that. And, you know, one of those guys that you mentioned that really intrigues me is uh, Zadarius Smith. Uh, I think Zadarius Smith is that alpha dog personality on and off the field that just kind of brings that edge to your team that you haven't had in a little bit. Um, that, that I think really is, would be an exciting leader in the locker room. Uh, personally, if, if I had to choose from that bunch, I think Chandler Jones is, uh, one of the premier edge rushers and you can get the sack totals and everything else. Um, one of the things that he has not been 
just absolutely stellar at is is defending the the run over his career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he hasn't been you know a complete player for his entire career, but certainly he is better than anything that you've had in quite some time. So it's not being picky or choosy here. Uh, so any one of those guys that you just mentioned, Brian, I'm going yes, yes, yes. Let's let's do it uh, because they they would bring such a different dimension to this defense and a much needed dimension to this defense. Yeah, there's one other name that I, I brought up in, in the article I think you're referencing on, on HawkBlogger.com about free agents that no one's talking about yet, but I'm wondering if this is going to show up, which is Cam Jordan. The Saints are $70 million mm-hmm. over the cap. It's not advantageous for them to trade him ahead of June 1st, but where do you put him in that group? Like, where does he You know, fit? gosh, he is, he's a unique one because Cam Jordan is a great football player right? Like he is a great football player. And for a long time, he has been a a great sack artist, a a good overall player uh, in the run game as well. And he he's coming off of a very good season, 12 and a half sack season. He's somebody that really intrigues me. And then when the same thing, as I talked about Zadarius Smith an alpha dog personality that brings a commanding presence, he's been very consistent in his career um, and he's somebody that I would greatly be interested in. And that is the type of player, Brian, that the Seahawks do target, that they do profile, that after the second or third wave of free agency, that they're going to hold out and they're going to try and play that card and see if they can get Cam Jordan on a cheaper deal past June 1st and, and not have to give up as much because the Saints are desperate to offload their contracts. So I would say that it could be very likely that the Seahawks are, are very aggressive, go get a top-tier premier edge rusher, and then if the cards play into their favor, go add another with someone like Cam Jordan uh, as you watch the market unfold and watch the Saints uh, you know, have to you know, wholesale change what they're trying to do. Yeah, so one of the things we've talked about in the show, and I know you've talked about it in your show as well, the Jamal Adams deal, right? Yeah, no, no one. I don't think there's anyone outside of the organization that is credibly going to argue that that deal's worked out. So for the, for the price paid, right? Like I, you know, it's just it's a. So I think people get really wrapped up in the cost of the trade and the sunk cost. Yes. And separate out from whether this player is good and whether this player can be good, right? And fully, fully agree. One of my questions for you is let's say that they do in the ideal world, they do upgrade this pass rush. And let's say that they get someone on the edge and let's say they get someone on the inside. Maybe it's a Akeem Hicks or maybe it's a Clayus Campbell or, you know, who knows, DJ Jones, whatever. How do you think that could affect Jamal Adams' ability to impact the defense as a pass rusher, as a blitzer? How would that affect how offenses have to account for him versus how they're accounting for him right now? Yeah, um, it it would make the world of difference. And here's why. If you're not willing to embrace a a here, man, this is this is a discussion I could have for an hour. But with Jamal Adams, I will fight to the death in terms of saying he is a phenomenal football player. He is one of the best defensive players out there in the game. That is the impact that he is capable of having. However, it just blows my mind that you're not willing to uh, schematically change what you do to fit his strengths. And Brian, I'm watching them in training camp and I'm seeing those things. I'm watching them do unique and cool stuff with their blitz packages. And I'm sitting there going, man, if I'm a quarterback right now and I'm having to figure out pressure packages and who's coming and who's not, they're doing some tough stuff right now. And I love it. And that's, what's going to bring the best out of Jamal Adams. And I think ultimately this defense, Uh, but they didn't do that. They went back, they went more conservative. And then once your pass rushers weren't going well, you changed completely and really focused it on and focused in on trying to be a run stopping defense, which I think was the right decision given, given the situation, they're trying to plug holes and just figure out the best solution, figure out something. And what that's done though, it's, it's alienated Jamal Adams. It's alienated his ability to, have a great impact on the game and when he doesn't generate sacks when he doesn't generate tackles for loss or quarterback hits that 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 is that is malpractice and I believe that if you change your your personnel 
then you can't automatically change your your slide protections to Jamal Adams right out of the gate because mm-hmm. if you do that, now you're leaving Zadarius Smith one-on-one with a tackle or you're leaving Chandler Jones one-on-one with a tackle. You're leaving Akeem Hicks one-on-one interior-wise, right? And that is favorable. And so it works well off of each other. And that would be the next step if Pete Carroll doesn't and this defense, whoever the defensive coordinator is going to be, don't want to embrace that style of defense that is more of a pressure-oriented defense to get the most out of Jamal Adams. And one quick thing before we move on, I just want to say that has just blown my mind sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you get in these press conferences and Pete is, you know, he's very candid and he's open and he wants to teach and he wants to teach the audience, which I think is awesome. But sometimes, you know, in a conversation of Jamal Adams, for instance, when he was asked, why did, why are you stopping to pressure as much as you did early on? And he said, well, teams are just recognizing it right away and teams are, you know, adjusting to it. Well, okay. Then what are you doing to combat that? What are you doing to free him up? And so, all right, let's show Jamal Adams in a typical blitz and let's bring Marquise Blair off the edge. Let's bring Ugo Amadi off the edge. Let's use two great blitzing linebackers that you have in Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks, right? Like you, you have the personnel to be able to combat that and then free up Jamal Adams again uh, because you don't know where the pressure's coming from. And so that, that to me in this season has really been head scratching. And it's something that I hope that they can figure out the answer because Jamal Adams is still a very good player and has the ability to be worth maybe not totally what that, you know, that compensation package ended up being, but definitely being worth it, uh, you know, in terms of this defense becoming a good, impactful defense. Yeah, that's you're speaking the speaking my language. So, uh, you know, I think the question there that a lot of us have is: Is the new defensive coordinator going to be able to have the influence to make those changes? And I know you know some of the names that are already out there. Yeah, I haven't heard as much about since the initial flurry of, of names. Sean Desai, we heard Clint Hurt, we've heard Ed Donatel. You know, um, I personally have had this hope, you know, Sean Desai gets the DC and then you get Ed Donatel as the secondary guy because he won't get a DC job anywhere else. And you get Clint Hurt and you got Vic Fangio's, you know, coaching staff. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, but now there's another one that I think is, I, I thought was completely ridiculous. But now maybe as interesting as Brian Flores, because of what happened today, all the news that's breaking with Brian Flores, this hasn't been yeah. linked to the Seahawks yet, but his chances at a head coach job seem pretty unlikely. Um, do you think that there's a chance that a guy like Brian Flores could become a candidate for D.C. in Seattle? Potentially. The only thing that I think gets in the way of this is what is Brian Flores's ultimate miss- mission? Is it to make a statement and then um, and then to hold out for a head coaching position? Because if I'm Brian Flores, I'm sitting here saying, look, I'm just as good as any of these any of these other candidates. And I should be interviewing for head coaching jobs. I should get a head coaching job. I should not have to go back to becoming a defensive coordinator again. And maybe he goes through the, the, the coaching cycle uh, one more time, like D'Amico Ryans is right now with the 49ers, he elected to, to come back. Maybe Brian Flores is willing to do that under Pete, Col- under Pete Carroll. Um, that is a possibility. But I, I just have a really hard time thinking that he is going to want to do that from a headspace perspective, Brian. That's mm-hmm. a lot that he's taken on right now. Yeah, he's taken is. on a monster, and he is willing to do it. And I think that more so than anything else, he's willing to make a big statement and the right statement, by the way, by sticking it to the NFL and saying, look, not only am I going to sue you, but I'm going to make you look really, really bad if no one comes after me for a head coach gig after this. And I think that the NFL has a PR nightmare on their hands. And quite frankly, I think Brian Flores would be letting a lot. I, I think he would be letting all the organizations off the hook by becoming a defensive coordinator again. Interesting. So yeah. that, that's, that's my perspective on it. You know, Pete Carroll is awesome. If he gives me the autonomy that I want, then, yeah, uh, with a working relationship for a year, stay in the game. Yeah, I I could absolutely do that. But 
I, I just see it as an unlikely situation um, just because I think from a mental perspective, Flores is, is going to be taken on a lot. And, and I think that he's going to hold out for a head coaching job to um, make a point uh, one way or the other. And, and I respect the heck out of it for him. And quite frankly, I, 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 this should have been done a long time ago with, with how the Rooney role has been applied and how it's been used in the past. Yeah. Uh, Evan, I was about to uh, go into some patron questions. Did you have something before I do that? Yeah, actually, I just wanted to go back to the Dwayne Brown thing for one second. Um, you know, the conversation last year around him, you know, ultimately taking the one year sort of like stopgap deal was really uh, frustration over what he feels he's valued at. Um, mm-hmm. You said you have a high degree of confidence or something like that, that that he'll be back next year. Is there a number that you would feel uncomfortable at um, either on a single, on a solo year or a multi-year deal? Like what would be your whole strategy with him? Yeah. Assuming you want to bring him back. Well, I think pretty clearly right now, Dwayne Brown is in that $10 million range. Like, like anything above that, um, if he starts to push for 14, 15, there's no way. Uh, I, I think that 10 to 12 is 12 would be the max. I, I, I personally think, and, and also Dwayne Brown strikes me as the individual right now that the relationship between him and the organization is very clear that Dwayne Brown's kind of at the stage in his career where he likes Seattle, he knows Seattle, and that's where he wants to play if they'll have him. Um, and so if Seattle wants him back and they can come to that agreement, I do believe Dwayne Brown signs on. And I feel like that is more financially prudent to solve your problems. The reality is the Seahawks are not going to wholesale change their offensive line aggressively like the Kansas City Chiefs did. They're not going to go and trade high capital for a left tackle. They're not going to go spend high market for Joe Tooney. And who knows uh, <laughs> what, what they're going to do in the draft. And, and I, I just don't see them you know, drafting the next Creed Humphreys. So hey. what I would, what I would <laughs> like to, have see- to say that on this show, does everybody I'm just sorry. have to come on here and troll me about Creed Humphrey? Well, it just, <sighs> it's the, it's the track record, man. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it, it, it is know, what man. it is. And so how I view this is if I'm looking at upgrading my offensive line and I'm being really, really realistic about it, mm-hmm. I want to bring back Dwayne Brown. I know what I'm getting in him. I'm comfortable with him. He's a war daddy. He's going to be available. And I, I trust him to be available through the season because that's just who Dwayne Brown is. He's going to fight through injuries. He's going to tough it out. And, and you know what you have in him. Then the other aspect is, okay, can we finally fix the wrong and get the bad mojo away from trading Max Unger and get ourselves a, a quality bona fide center. And I believe that when you do that, you get you elevate Damian Lewis's play. You elevate Gabe Jackson's play. And and that helps anchor your offensive line. And that's what you really, really need. Um, I don't know of too many great right tackles that are out there in the market right now. But what I do see is that there are going to be a range, a good range of centers that you could look at and absolutely say, these guys can make a big difference. These guys could be a big upgrade for this offensive line. And, and that's why I would go in that direction. So if you bring back Dwayne Brown, you really truly get uh, one, of the, one of the best centers available in the market. Um, I, I do believe that you, you should expect much improved play from this offensive line, both in the run game and the passing game. All right. We've got a bunch of questions and I know Jake's only got a little bit more time. So we're going to try to rifle through a couple of these and uh, we will, we'll get you uh, out of here to your, your lovely family. So Can I just say real quick, that war daddy yeah. phrase cracked me up calling Dwayne Brown a war daddy. That's amazing. Is, man. You ever heard that? I've never through heard through, that phrase. Man. Oh, I love that. That's a football term for sure, the man. War daddy. Uh, so uh, patreon.com slash Hawk blogger. If you haven't already joined, please do. We give all the money to charity and you get access to the Slack channel immediately where you get to ask questions to cool people like Jake Heaps and even cooler people like Stacey Ross. But uh, she, she paid I'm me. Assuming, 
I was gonna say, yeah, I mean, a cool, a cool twenty. Like, what, what is, she, what was the basket price? He agreed that she's going to eat nachos at Matador. We're all gonna do oh. that. It's gonna happen. So just prepare. You, your wife and kids are welcome to. Actually, kids can't come. It's twenty one and over. But and anyway, <laughs> hey, uh, Ryan Cleveland we'll get a babysitter. Asks, he says, Jake, thanks for being here tonight. Seems like there's a lot of assumptions about your relationship with Russ and how that impacts your take to the Hawks. What yeah. assumptions do people make about you and Russ that are flat out wrong? Oh man, uh, this fantastic question. Um, I would say that in this business, what my job is, is to bring my perspective. My job is to bring my perspective and, and show what I think is going on with the situation. You may not agree with it. That's fine. Um, and you know, Russell and I have a great relationship. We're very close. Um, we're both quarterbacks. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think we have a very similar perspective in certain situations. However, uh, I, I think that it is overstated by, you know, I've seen it a lot that he's just a mouthpiece. Whatever he says is what Russell's saying, you know, this and that. And it's just not true. Uh, there's lots of things that I say that Russell actually comes back and says, like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, what, what's going on? Um, and that's fine. But I also would say this is that I have been very open and honest about my relationship and that dynamic from day one, haven't hidden it, haven't tried to hide it. Um, and that is not the same for every talking head here in Seattle. If you think that everybody else sits here and says, you know, exactly what they think, then you're wrong. Everybody gets in this town, everybody gets information from somewhere. Uh, and I'll, and I'll leave it at that. And, and not everybody is forthcoming in terms of, you know, what relationships they have or how their opinion is formulated. And um, I've never, I've never hidden my relationships with Russell or other guys on the team for that matter. Um, relationships or, you know, past uh, experience with the Seahawks, with the organization, with Pete Carroll, with John Schneider. Um, and so my perspective comes from my playing days. It comes from my experience being in that building. Um, and I try to call it as much as, as I see it. And it has nothing to do with, uh, with what Russell thinks or what his opinions are about it. The only time that I genuinely share his opinion on stuff is like, um, or information that, that, uh, that comes out is, you know, stuff like his contract negotiation that happened back in 2018 or, um, or, uh, you know, this this recent report that came out from Ian Rappaport, you know, it's just like, you know, there's certain things that I think people should know uh, are where where is this coming from and how is it being reported? But uh, I guarantee you, you know, it's I'm very capable of coming with my own thoughts and formulating my own thoughts. So awesome. Can we ask you a couple more? Can we keep you a couple more minutes? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Uh from DJ Burnett, Jake, what would it take to have Russell Wilson Wednesdays? Tom Brady has a podcast on Monday. The Pat McAfee show is Aaron Rodgers on Tuesdays. I feel like it would only be right to have Russ on Wednesdays. <laughs> uh, you know, there's actually been some conversation in that. Um, would love to make that happen. Would love to make that a reality. Um, and, you know, Russell's tried his hand in, in having a podcast uh, himself, um, you know, over the last couple of years and, and all that. And so I think, you know, at some point, maybe, uh, maybe that will happen in the not so distant future. So well, we're, uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Love it. Uh, all right. Two more. And if, if, if Evan, you, if you want to stick one in there, feel free. Uh, so a, a common question we get, and I, I'm curious your thoughts as a quarterback um, and someone who knows some of these guys, uh, we see amazing chemistry between Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. And then we mm -hmm. see DK Metcalf, who looked like he was developing amazing chemistry with Russ the first couple of seasons. And this season, it really looked like they had trouble connecting on some basic routes. And, you know, Matt Hasselbeck talked about it on Salt's show. And, you know, we yeah. all saw it. What can be some reasons, like, like, without going too deep on this, like, yeah, when you see that and you're a quarterback, what do you think it needs to happen in order to get them to be an unbeatable pairing? Like, I think we all believe they should be. Um, not, not a whole lot more than, than going through it. Uh, it, the, the best way that I can describe this is that, look, Russell also wasn't himself. He wasn't on the field for three weeks and then clearly wasn't himself for another three weeks. And that impacted things. And, 
I, I really truly, you know, believe that. And, and I think it was very evident to the eye, but the other side of it is that, you know, I think that Tyler is such a, the way I would describe him as a receiver is very similar to Doug is that they're feelers. It's not necessarily about how the route is run on the paper. It is how they feel the game and how they feel the zones and how they, how they understand that and, and understand space. And so I, 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 and Russell is very much that player when he gets into scramble modes or second reaction plays where the first play doesn't work and then it's time for the second play. So I, I believe there's an easy connection there. Whereas, you know, Russell and DK, they have a different relationship, a different connection where it has to be a little bit more technical and it has to be a little bit more um, route oriented, whether it's back shoulder throws, whether it's, um, you know, running the route tree and, and being on time and in rhythm. And so I think what to put it in its simplest form for this year in particular, there were a lot of firsts that happened out there on the field. A lot of firsts of DK running choice routes, DK running different routes in the route tree. And, um, and so for me, as I watch that, the, the perfect example I could, I could say to you is, remember the Chicago Bears game uh, where it's third and five and DK kills the guy and Russell overthrows him. You guys know what I'm talking about. It was like late in the game. I think it was third or fourth quarter. And you're going automatically, oh, it's the finger. That's oh, the finger. You know, gosh, how could he miss him? Well, what happened was is DK Metcalf's running a choice route and he puts an unbelievable move on the guy, but he makes it so big and dramatic that, and again, DK's not doing anything wrong, but Russell's double clutching. He's not expecting that to happen. And therefore he kind of gets in a panic mode and, and, and overthrows it. Well, Russell should hit that. It should, it should be something that's completed and you move on. It's not a big deal. But what I would say is that is a perfect illustration of, there were first a lot of firsts that were going on in Shane Waldron's offense between Russell and DK. And unfortunately it wasn't a seamless process. So what I, what my expectations are and what my belief is, is that year two under Shane Waldron's offense will be significantly better. And that relationship and that chemistry will be, um, you know, will be much, much better going into this next season. And you saw that jump from year one to year two under Brian Schottenheimer's offense as well between Russ and DK. I expect a, I expect a similar, a similar deal here between the two of them. Awesome. Um, okay. Last thing I, I, uh, <laughs> I promised someone I would do this on your way out. So hey, all uh, good. on January 9th, uh, I tweeted uh, Rashad Penny ran for 671 yards over the last five games. That's 134.2 yards per game, 2,281 yards over the, course of a full 17 game season and there's this great show that's on 710 the next day uh this came because on. of how dynamic and unique and special he was to finish out the year but people coming up and saying look Rashad Penny what he did over the last five games here's the average it's over 134 yards per game uh that would have equated to over 2200 something yards over the course of a full 17 game season that is the most worthless stat you could possibly give me at this current moment in time. You want to know, you know, and, and I just, you know, I had to, I had to promote the show and say, you know, where's the at? Where's the at, Jake? Like, can't you just add me, man? I, I, I should have. You're 100 percent right. <laughs> Unfortunately, in my head, I said this is Hawkblogger, but I also saw it from two other people as well. <laughs> So I was I was addressing a group, but you're right. I should have given you the credit, man. You're, Come you're 100% on, man. right. I, I now, work really hard on useless numbers. People know that that's my brand. <laughs> Evan knows that. You, you know, you know what? In all seriousness, it is something that I, I, I also look forward to uh, after games. I look forward to the stats that you, you put together and compile. Um, but that to me was also something when it comes to the discourse of the end of the season, the discourse of what Rashad Penny can be and the hope that he can be, to me, I, I, I just was not in the moment to sit there and say, look, all of these sins that happened through the season can be forgiven because of the last two weeks or the last run of Rashad Penny. There's still some serious questions. And I would love to be able to apply those stats from the last six weeks of what Rashad Penny did, which was just mind blowing. It was incredible. 
but I cannot picture and envision Rashad Penny doing this for 17 weeks next year. He, he's got to show it. And I hope that, that he is truly a new man and they've got to figure it out. Um, But I I also believe that there's a lot of uh, wishful thinking that goes on uh, with us just naturally as fans, as we go, look at the last two weeks, look at how they did this, look at how they did that. And that's the type of team that they're going to be. There's a lot more to the equation and uh, they've got a lot more things to figure out to get that level of performance out of Rashad Penny all year long. You take me far too seriously, Jake. I, I, uh, I mean, I did, I admit, I just picked myself up out of the, the, the puddle of tears that, that I've been waiting in for the last <laughs> few weeks, but oh, man, that was awesome. I, I, I laughed out loud when someone sent that to me. So that was oh, man. Funny. And no, uh, I, I, I just had to explain my, my <laughs> mental state at that time. Uh, and, uh, you know what? I, I love it because I, I, I think that truly, in this business, so many people take themselves so seriously. And the one thing that I've really appreciated is to be able to have the back and forth between us and everyone, uh, you know, associated with Hawk Blogger and to be able to know that, look, it's not personal. And to me, that is the most important thing throughout this entire discourse is we can disagree on certain things and all that, but this should never be personal. And we should all be always be able to poke, poke fun at each other or call each other out and call each other stupid and still be good at the end of the day. It's not personal unless you attack Matador Nachos. Then it becomes yeah. very, very <laughs> your, personal. Your co-host is in the crosshairs. This, this is well, not going to stand. Well, so. rightfully so, and I can't defend her whatsoever. I'm not going to. So have yeah. at it, guys. Hey, that is Jake Heaps. Thank you so much for coming on the show. That is JT Heaps 9 on Twitter, uh, on 710 ESPN every morning at 10 a.m. with Stacey Rost. Great show. Must listen. Listen to their podcast on Spotify, everywhere that you can find podcasts. Absolute friend of show. And Jake, really appreciate it. Uh, and thank your family for, for giving you up for an hour tonight. Absolutely, guys. It was fun. It was a blast. Let's do this again. Uh, and uh, looking forward to it, man. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Good to see ya. See you, Evan. See you, brother. All right. That was... Uh... He is was, so fun. I Jake love Jake. Jake. Yeah, man. I wish we could have him for another, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. He's, he's got young kids. I'm sure his wife is like, dude. How big is his squad? Is it four? Oh, I don't know. They, they were, they were, yeah, they were multiplying for a while there. I lost track. <laughs> um, he's building a football team over there. He, he is. <laughs> he is, man. Uh, I know a lot of people wanted to hear what his thoughts were about the, the, Richard Sherman stuff and the Cliff Averill conversation. We just didn't have time. Like, we, Can there, we talk there, about the Sherm stuff, though? Yeah, yeah. What, is, what were your thoughts on that? God, he just came across as so bitchy. So bitchy and just such a sore. <sighs> he, he, it doesn't sound like he's over Seattle cutting him. And I don't like saying no. that because I, I really like Richard Sherman. Yeah. I really like him. Yeah. Player, person. But man, that interview just did not sit well with me. What was, what was your perspective? Well, the, so a lot of people are talking about the Richard Sherman Cliff Averill piece. Less people are talking about the KJ Wright interview that was also mm. on KJR like yesterday, I want to say. Yeah. And KJ was very similar vibe, man. KJ was like, you know, hey, I don't think, I don't think you can blame this on one guy. And if you're gonna say, I don't, I'm not the type of leader that I would say, hey, if it's if my assistant's got to go, I would be like, I gotta go. He's like mm. basically saying, hey, this is Pete as much as it is Ken Norton Jr. Obviously, KJ was a linebacker. He was a Ken Norton Jr. guy. But then KJ went as far as to say things like, hey, last year wouldn't have happened if they had me on the team. That I mean, playing Sam linebacker for 20% of the downs instead of Benson Mayoa. Like, so I look, I have a ton of respect for these guys as players and as people. They're smart, they're incredibly talented, they're good people. But they also like have troubles, you know, they are like very self. I have a high degree of self. Like the wrong word, but they're just, 
they have a hard time seeing past their own reality. And I think they especially have a hard time when they're no longer the impact players they once were. Um, I don't think that translates well to somebody who's been as special as they've been for, for as long as they've been. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I, I give those same critiques while simultaneously acknowledging that if I was in their position, I'd probably be saying similar things as well. You know, you spend a you spend a good chunk. No, in KJ's case, 100% of his entire professional football playing career in a specific, you know, with a specific employer, and then they choose to go another direction and you hang around really hoping that, you know, you can continue, finish, maybe retire there. That's gotta be, it's gotta hit personally, right? Oh, yeah. Like, like as, sure. much as, as much as, you know, it's business that would impact me personally as well. So I get it. They're human. It's emotional, but at the same time, I think their comments are not super wise. Well, the other, the other interesting aspect of the angle of this, Evan, I'm curious your thoughts. So the way you look at it, I mean, people are kind of trying to figure out who are they taking the shot at? Like, is it a Pete comment? But then they're also like, you know, no, Pete, you, you can't get rid of Pete. Like uh, they've all come out pretty much and said that. I think even Sherm said, said that. And so one of the things I've observed over time, and I'm not sure how real this is, is that I think Pete basically has created it where he's the good cop. And he's always talking up the players. He's always sees the most positive in them. He's maintaining the relationships, even with Sherm when he's on the 49ers and stuff. I think John's the heavy. And I think John's in there saying like, cap can't cost, you know, can't afford you. And maybe he's not the one that's actually having positive relationship building stuff. You know, maybe it gets kind of tough. And I give Nathan credit on this. He was bringing it up because it's a good memory. People talked about that when Mike Holmgren was the GM and the coach here, that it was hard for him to be on one side, mm-hmm. sitting across the table from the agent and the player saying like, you're not worth this much money. And on the other side, coaching them up and telling them why they're great. So I'm wondering if these people are, a lot of this is about John Schneider when they're talking about this stuff. Well, it's funny you mentioned this, actually. I had a player tell me a couple of years ago who was cut by Seattle, and I won't, I won't give his name, obviously, but um, he was telling me the story of how he was cut, and basically he received a text and then a phone call from John Schneider. This is just one situation, by the mm-hmm. way, so I have no idea if it happens in other situations, but basically he received a text and a phone call from John Schneider informing him of the decision that they were making, and then Pete Carroll followed up basically saying, hey, man, love you as a player wanted to keep you, but you know, we live in an era of the salary cap, blah, blah, blah. I can totally see how that does play mm-hmm. like a good cop, bad cop type yep. of scenario. And maybe it's unintentional or maybe it's intentional. I don't know, but I, I don't think that's an off base, like assumption at all. Yeah. Like think about how Pete Carroll talks about every single player. I'd love to bring him back. Like there's yeah, been yeah. rarely any situation where Pete Carroll's like, yeah, not interested. Like even players not on his team, he's just glowing in that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and you and I have talked to agents and we know different folks and a lot of times it's directed at John. Like, you know, that's who they're trying to influence and that's, which is super interesting because if that's also true, it, it brings back the question of what are the personal decisions that are John's and what's your Pete's? And I don't know. Like, I still think at the end of the day, like Pete's having to agree with all of those moves. Oh, a hundred percent. There's not a single move that's being made that isn't blessed by Pete, in my opinion. Yeah. Or, or probably simultaneously blessed by John. I really, I really do think these guys are in lockstep for the most part. So we only got a little bit of time left, but we should talk, we should talk a little bit about the playoffs. Uh, that oh my god it's been so good yeah for 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 playoffs not having the Seahawks in it has been pretty entertaining I would say what's what's kind of been your reaction to what you've seen in the playoffs like what what are you like and what translate that to the Seahawks like when you're seeing it what are you thinking about What, what are your takeaways I guess my my main concerns are that the NFC West is getting stronger and 
We see that the Rams are finally, you know, back in another Super Bowl appearance. The Niners went from being three and five, three and five. People forget they started three and five. They were horrible. Mm-hmm. Literally, people were calling for Kyle Shanahan's head, yep. like midway through the season. And, you know, look, they just made another, like, that is a, their season is a massive success, in my opinion. Uh, there's a lot to be, um, I have a lot of doubts about uh, whatever the heck his name is, Trey Lance, but I I guess my number one, uh, several different stream of consciousness observations. Uh, The NFC West is getting stronger. That's concerning me. I'm also glad Tom Brady retired, so he's not in our conference anymore. Um, But from a rooting perspective, my number one priority is that the Rams or the Niners do not win um, the Super Bowl obviously. And I'm not one of those people that like roots for their division. Like some people do that. I think that's a little weird to me. Yeah. So I was actually rooting for uh, the chiefs and the bills because I, I, I truly believe they were like the two best teams remaining in the playoffs. I, I've been a firm believer that if the bills had gotten past the chiefs, they'd be in the super bowl right now. That's how good I think that football team is. Um, but I have some real concerns about the Bengals beating the Rams and their matchup with them. That Bengals offensive line is a complete and utter disaster. It got worked by the Titans. They had like, what was it? Like nine sacks on them or something like that. And they barely won the game. So it's been an exciting playoffs. That's just my stream of consciousness thoughts, but I'm really fearful that the Rams are going to take this, take this one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I, I was pulling so hard for the Bills. It just would have been so awesome. And I honestly, I still think they're the best team. I honestly think they're the best team in the NFL this year. And the Bills are? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is like, he's just that guy. And he just does things sometimes that, you know, you just have to tip your cap. Um, but with the Bills out, I was absolutely hoping for the Chiefs. And I was like, man, if the Bengals, like, I have nothing against the Bengals. Yeah. I like Joe Burrow. The Bengals haven't won a Super Bowl. Like, hell yeah, I like Joe Mixon. I like Jamar Chase. I like Trey Hendrickson. Like, I love um, Jesse Bates. Is freaking amazing safety. Like, I like all, Trey Flowers. I mean, unreal cornerback. I mean, all pro level guy. Where did they get him? Um, Can I give like a small hot take? Yeah, please. First of all, fuck the 49ers in that. <sighs> garbage ass fan base i fucking love seeing them lose okay but i have a critique on their like post-game reactions of that fan base why are they all assuming that jimmy g's not going to be a 49er next year he's got a 25 million dollar cap hit. he had that this past year yeah do you really do you really be- like does kyle shanahan really believe that trey lance is ready to be the full-time starter I think that that, I mean, I had the same thought and I looked at their cap situation. I looked at their players. I'm not convinced he's gone, man. I don't know how you take a guy top five and don't play him for two full seasons. He did not look great in his rookie season. He didn't. He didn't. And it it wouldn't be like the craziest thing, but I I really don't think it's that crazy. I I really, yeah. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, if you're listening, you just got to the NFC Championship game with Jimmy Garoppolo, so you owe If that's what you're trying to do, I'm with you. I mean, they absolutely no. should keep Jimmy G. Like, <laughs> he, he is their answer for sure. I, 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 I'm just saying they might keep him. I think the chances are higher than people actually think. Yes. I, I, I agree, actually. I don't, I don't think that's crazy. I, I just think the chances are still pretty small, but, but I, I do think that the chances are higher than people realize. And I agree as well. Like I was, it was the first time I can ever remember. Honestly, I was rooting for the 49ers. Like I was literally like, I was, were you really? I was like, I wanted them to win. I've never felt that before. And it was mainly because I thought that whichever team from the AFC got in would have a better chance to be the 49ers and the Rams. I will not vocalize publicly the situation that I was rooting for. I just, uh, I think the Bengals are in for a world of hurt with the Rams and uh, I don't know, like the, the Titans had nine sacks against that offensive line. Mm-hmm. 
telling me that Von Miller, Aaron Donald, and Leonard Floyd are not going to just wreak havoc. And I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, we have to hope that, that their defense does take the ball away a decent amount. So maybe Matt Stafford will make a few Joukowsky tart throws. Um, fell for that guy, dude. I mean, that's, that's like a, it's not a Super Bowl at the one yard line play, but it is a play for a player at his level. He will probably not, never get another chance to make a play as impactful as that play would have been. Most likely, not for sure, but I think there's a decent chance they get to the Super Bowl if he makes that pick. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I'm not, I am not optimistic about the Bengals. I think for the Bengals to, to have a chance, I think it's got to be their defense that plays well. Mm-hmm. I think Burrow, Burrow's probably going to be able to manufacture some amazing plays. Joe Mixon might, you know, he might run a little bit. Um, but I am kind of curious to see Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey. Like, yeah. That could be fun. Uh, Jesse Bates is a pretty fun player, too. He, I, I love that guy. Like, there's not a lot of safeties that jump off the page, but that guy, for sure. He's a free agent, by the way. Yeah. He'll get tagged, but, I mean. Yes, he will. He's a fun player. All right, dude. Um, so, someone just said that I need to put the crack pipe down because I was cheering for San Francisco. Um, I actually do think you need to. That's insane. I really didn't want either of those teams to win. And I think San Francisco would have absolutely lost in the Super Bowl. Absolutely. Like, I had very strong confidence they were going to lose in the Super Bowl. So, oh, okay. So that was the rooting interest. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think we ended up with what is probably the worst possible scenario if you're rooting for the NFC West to lose. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah. I think the line's probably up to five points by now. I mean, like, yeah. I bet it wouldn't be surprised me if it gets up to six. So are you going to do anything for the Super Bowl? Are you going to like go to a party? You're going to throw a party? You're going to, you know, COVID it up? You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, my, uh, my wine, I already got COVID. So, well, I got it. I just got over it a few weeks ago. Well, like 10 days ago. Um, but my uh, local wine bar is just throwing like a, like a locals only type of potluck. We're going to put it up on a projector screen, play some fun games and get belligerently drunk. So that's, awesome. think, uh, that's the plan. How about you? I haven't figured it out yet. You know, it's the, it's percolating um, at the moment, but you know, we are planning most likely to do our ring of honor patron dinner um, around draft time, maybe end of April. Yeah. So I don't know if you'll be able to come up here, but I think if we do it, then we should also coordinate the Jake and Stacy <laughs> Matador uh, experience. We've got, we've got to convert. Stacy into someone we can talk to again. Yeah, I'm wide open for April. I mean, all right. Yeah. April, May, June. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do a little bit later. Some of the Ring of Honor folks saying summer gets a little harder because people have plans. So no, that's uh, fair. If folks haven't already joined, there's still actually um opportunity to join the Ring of Honor. There's a few spots left. We also and... have a promotion actually going for the Ring of Honor. If you join the Ring of Honor, you also get a complimentary subscription to my OnlyFans. So join. True. True. Um that... posting new content daily, lots of videos, lots of images. You know, I was watching a South Park today where they had uh Butters uh act as the internet filter for yeah. a number of celebrities where he would read everything and only give them the good stuff. I absolutely would think people would need to hire someone to filter um, your OnlyFans posts. It, it is, is absolutely necessary. Um, so yeah, folks, if you haven't already, give the show a like, we'd appreciate it. Um, we plan on bringing up a bunch more great guests. Uh, we're on a good streak and, and having fun doing it. Um, and go to patreon.com slash sign up. Now, before we leave you, you heard at the beginning, this is the 199th episode. Now, we were planning to do a show tomorrow, which would have been our 200th. But then we're like, oh, shit, it's our 200th. We want to take a little bit of time and see if we can do something a little bit more than just a normal show. So this will be our show for this week, uh, 199th episode. And we are in the planning phases of what we can do for our 200th show to celebrate with all of you. 
become a great community. Uh, hundreds of people over on the, the Slack channel at patreon.com slash hawkblogger uh, raise a bunch of money for charity, continuing to do it. And we're now, you know, we're closing in on 8,000 subscribers on YouTube. Please subscribe. It's great to do it. Give us a, a like. Um, give us some uh, reviews on Spotify, Apple, uh, iTunes, Google Play, all those places. All helps the show expand and get better guests. Um, and, you know, maybe even convince Evan to go to triple figures for days of yoga in a row. Like, <laughs> let's see if you can get it all the way to 100, man. I, I'm on day like, 70 something of p90x and so <laughs> like i'm with you on these consecutive exercise things but but not yoga i can't do yoga that many days in a row heated yoga is so fun though did you say heated yoga that's what i do yeah i don't know how you do that dude you're already in a hot environment i'm like i'm schwitzing just like thinking about that bro it's like 109 in that room it's not that bad it's the odors alone like, you actually don't have you ever done heated yoga i've done it once yeah i don't you don't really smell anything or maybe that's covid that took away my smell <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know dude yeah that it was not my thing i i get i heat up on my own i don't need extra temperature added to, to my exercise routines but i'm happy it's working for you you look great it's good to see you and uh yeah we're gonna figure out what we're gonna do for show 200 it's gonna be fun dude I am so excited. I cannot believe we are reaching 200. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and you know, the secret is, I'm pretty sure we didn't count all the shows. I'm pretty sure we're way past 200 at this point, but we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to count this. As we're professionals. We're going to we, make uh, it. We do a lot of show prep. We have a ton of shit that, you know, goes into planning these shows. And yeah, we definitely just don't like show up and talk. Yeah. All right, dude. Well, thanks for tonight. It was good seeing you. Good to see you're feeling better. And thanks everyone for, for listening. So take care, have a good night, go Hawks, and we will see.